This episode of Warp 5 is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 150,000 titles for iPhone, iPad and iPod, Android, Kindle, Windows Phone, plus Mac or PC. To get a free audiobook of your choice, visit audibletrial.com slash trekfm. Plus, if you'd like to support our programming personally, visit trek.fm slash donate to get our alien badges and art prints featuring original illustration by Tobu Ushi. Hi, I'm Anthony Montgomery, Ensign Travis Mayweather on Star Trek Enterprise, and you're listening to Trek FM. How we doing, Trip? Ready when you are. Prepare for warp. Course laid in, sir. Request permission to get underway. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Warp 5, our dedicated Enterprise show. I'm Christopher Jones, and with me, as she is every single week from Australia, is Kate Walsh. Kate, how's everything going? What was happening there you were tweeting about recently? The Melbourne Cup? Was that some sort of fancy race, or what is that? It's a very fancy race. Um, Lately, (laughs) the past few years, it seems to have been taken out by the Japanese horses, though, so... um, yeah, it's the biggest race in uh, Australia, and they refer to it as the race that stops a nation. And it seems to stop everyone but me, because I get caught out helping with the sweepstakes for the office every year. I see, I see. So it's horses, okay. I thought they raced kangaroos in Australia. No, no, that's the um, the Outback Cup. Oh, I knew it was something like that. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, anyway, it's... Um, it's good to be back with you this week to talk enterprise. And, you know, w- one thing that's been a big topic in a lot of discussions that I have been having recently is the topic of continuity. And, you know, continuity is something that we've come to expect in television today. And it can be a hot topic amongst Star Trek fans because not each series handles continuity equally. And some fans like it and some fans don't. And it, it leads to a lot of debates. But, you know, we have TOS, which was totally a product of its time, and it's virtually devoid of continuity. And then we have DS9, which particularly in the later seasons, focuses so strongly on continuity as to just lose the casual viewer. And when we talk about continuity, you know, we're not just talking about making sure that we don't, the writers don't contradict themselves, but Mm -hmm. we're talking about consequences as well. And what happens to our characters in one episode should carry through to another. At least that's how I feel. But as we talk about continuity today, I I think that the best place to start is by me just asking if you agree. Do you prefer the standalone episodic nature of storytelling or do you, like me, want to see those consequences? Well, it is an interesting debate. And, you know, over the last 10 years, we've seen, you know, different, kind of ideas being put out there as to the level of continuity that we like to see in shows and um, what is successful, particularly on network television. As a personal preference, I 
like a lower level of serialization in a show. I think I, I ended up with a little bit of uh, fatigue in the early uh, to mid-2000s especially from watching a number of shows and we, we briefly mentioned Lost last week and I think that was one of those shows that really made me feel very tired from a stronger element of continuity. Yeah. If you want to call that continuity, I think Lost makes viewers tired because the continuity is difficult to follow. Like there's one thing to have continuity where you can see a clear line as your characters mm. have their arcs through the show versus just making stuff up from week to week. In in saying um in saying that, yeah, there there are a number of issues with serialization, which we might talk about a little bit later. But even shows that are fairly episodic in structure and that uh, you know can can really stand alone and be played in different orders still have a small element of continuity to them in terms of character development. Yeah. And uh, if you think of a, a sitcom, yes, you can play them out of order, but there are progressions in certain storylines and you know character issues throughout those shows anyway so it's not simply as straightforward as saying one show is serialized and another's episodic and, and although we often tend to think of it like that but certainly in terms of star trek i think we see with tos and tng those series being much more episodic in structure than what we see in um in the other three series. Well, TOS, you can really play out of order. And if you're not a Trekkie and you don't really know which episodes belong to which seasons, you're not really going to know. And TNG, it's a little bit easier to tell these are early episodes and these are late episodes because the costumes change a bit, mm. everything becomes a bit more refined. But even on TNG, you know, you talk about how some shows, and I mean, a sitcom's an example. Think of something like Friends. You know, you have different people dating different people, and so mm -hmm. there there is a continuity element there in some sense. But at the same time, you know, you can watch those pretty much out of order, and it's not going to affect your enjoyment of the episodes. With TNG, I, I feel like we don't really see our characters grow very much from the beginning of the series mm. to the end of the series. We see you know, Riker's we see, beard grow, but that's pretty much We it. see Riker's beard grow, yes. Yeah. <laughs> but like, you know, I'm often very critical of Voyager because of the general lack of continuity or consequences in that series. Mm. But we do see characters like Tom Paris, for example, grow a great deal. I mean, mm. he's a very different character in the seventh season than in the first season. And so there is that character continuity element that is there in the series. It's something I don't see so much in TNG. You mm. know, the characters really are pretty much the same characters from Encounter at Farpoint all the way through to All Good Things. There certainly are elements in Voyager um, other than just the characters. I mean, we do see Harry Kim as well develop in terms of he matures, he starts to take on responsibility or, or seeking responsibility. We see Jane Stops like, wearing a blindfold when he <laughs> sleeps, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, we um, we see Janeway at times struggle with, you know, the consequences of her decision in Caretaker. Um, we do mm. – What I think what we don't see in Voyager is 
is a lot of um, what I tend to think of as the consequences. So people are often critical in Voyager of the ship right. getting damaged one week and then being fine the next. And, um, yeah, because they've got Cooter on the ship. It's like the Dukes of Hazard. <laughs> you know, the, the Voyager gets damaged and after the commercial, it's all shiny again. Yeah. I'm kidding. It's not that bad. <laughs> so, I mean, there are elements Cooter of could fix like any dent in a door on the General Lee, though. I mean, commercial break, General Lee was okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, we, we see the UMH develop quite a bit. We see Seven of Nine develop quite a bit as we a do. character. We do, UMH and, and, and yeah. yeah, definitely mm-hmm. when you compare it with TNG, you can see that difference. Yeah, yeah, you do. And, and it's not always in terms of character development. I think Voyager does address that. I think, though, as I've mentioned, it's on the plot elements other than the overarching right. storyline. Um, of we've got to get back to the Alpha Quadrant, there's not a lot of continuity in terms of plots. The episodes themselves are very standalone. Yeah, Yeah, definitely. And then, of course, DS9 is even... Now, the full-on continuity happens probably like season four onwards, especially through halfway through season five and six, seven... But there's actually a lot of continuity even in the first and second seasons of DS9 as you follow Bajoran religion and politics and as as things weave through. So DS9 definitely not only has the continuity, but it has the consequences as well. It has very serious consequences mm. in many cases as to what happens. And that's my preferred form of storytelling. Mm. Now, when we get to Enterprise, Enterprise, which of course... This is an Enterprise show, and that's what we're going to talk about for the rest of the show today. Enterprise was an interesting hybrid between the two because I think the network really wanted to have the more episodic nature of Star Trek, where I feel that the writers, and it's very interesting to me because, of course, with Brandon being the showrunner and having written so much of Voyager and Voyager kind of lacking the continuity consequences Mm. that I like to see enterprise had it more and they were trying to put that in and almost like they're having to fight against the studio in order to work that in. Mm. And so for me, enterprise is second after DS nine in all the Star Trek series in terms of having a continuity consequences element to the show. I think it's interesting to look at, you know, why the studio would have insisted on an episodic format. I mean, really, for, for a studio, it's much easier to to sell an episodic show. You're more likely to get um, a larger viewership. Syndication is easier. Right, especially syndication. When they go to do reruns, which is yep. one thing that saved Enterprise for the fourth season is they needed to get to 100 and they got to 98, mm. but they needed to get their episodic shows are easier to rerun right because people can just catch it here catch it there enjoy it not have to worry too much about the overall storyline yeah that's right so you can understand that from a studio perspective um serialized shows tend to do very well on dvd they also tend to be the kinds Mm -hmm. of shows that people are going to record or watch on netflix and watch um you know all, all at once they'll they'll watch one of those arcs, you know, whether right. it's a series, season-long arc. Yeah, yes. yeah. And you yourself have said season three of Enterprise is best watched when you watch it quickly. And so for that reason, yeah. it's the kind of thing that people are more likely to watch 
at their own leisure rather than as it's being shown first time on TV. But from uh, a writer's perspective, and particularly given that Enterprise was the fifth um, version of Star Trek, I imagine it is very, very difficult for them to create new standalone stories, uh, something that hasn't right. been told before, something that's uh, in many ways I think it's it's to the credit of the writers of Enterprise that they look to tell stories that were unique to Enterprise and that situation because it was the time period and the situation they were facing going out into deep space for the first time that was going to generate new stories but it's still not an easy task. So I think it's it's quite natural for writers to want to um, to look at a more serialised format where they can tell bigger stories and um, and really be more creative. Right, I agree. I mean, if I were writing a show, I would definitely want to write a serialised show because I have issues I want to explore that I can't mm. always wrap up in 42 minutes. But part of the problem with um, a serial, there's, I think there's two main issues with a serialised format, though. There's what we saw with Lost, where the writers probably aren't that clear on where they're going, and so it continues to, you know, the, the mythology and the story continues to expand and, and the viewers get a sense of where on earth is this going and not sure whether there's a plan or whether it's ad hoc. And that can be very dissatisfying for the audience. Yeah, so that, exactly. that's one way that a serialized show is going to go. The other is where they've got whether they have an actual plan for where the story is going to go or whether they at least know where it's not going. There can be difficulty there because you don't know how long the show is going to run for. So if you've got this this big story in mind and you know you, you know the stages that you've got to, to tell this story, you know, do you plan on two seasons, one season, five, seven seasons to tell that? Do you get to the point and the show is successful and it keeps getting extended and you've got to drag it out? You know, right. so yeah, there, yeah, there yeah. are real issues for serialized shows. Well, I mean, even in episodic television, that becomes an issue. Mm. You know, a lot of people ask, why did the next generation end after seven seasons? Because. Now now we think we're disappointed that Enterprise only went four seasons because Voyager went seven and DS9 went seven. We just kind of assumed that, well, Star Trek series, they go seven seasons, but that wasn't really the case. Mm. The next generation ended after seven because the studio wanted to do films. And that was, you know, they were going to launch Voyager to help get the network off the ground. And TNG was just red hot and the the salaries for the actors were becoming very expensive. And if they had to go for yet another season, that's another issue, you know, with finances. And they wanted to move on to the big screen. But, you know, TNG could have easily gone eight seasons and the audience would have been there. Probably could have gone nine. Mm. Uh, DS9's interesting that they signed the actors to six-year contracts, not seven. And that's, you know, Terry Farrell didn't want to come back for season seven, so Jadzia was killed off at mm. the end of the sixth season. So we just kind of assume, well, it's going to be seven seasons. But even with episodic television, you you can look at shows like Frasier or Friends or Cheers or shows like this that just are The Simpsons, mm. especially The Simpsons, right? Where it just goes on and on. The studio wants another season, another season. But you're, yep. you're kind of like, I've, I've told everything and and... 
the show doesn't have the the appeal or the vibrance that it once mm. had. Well, I don't know if you ever saw the show Life on Mars. There was the the BBC version, and then there was the American mm. version of the show. The original BBC version was always planned to go for just two seasons. And that's not uncommon in British TV where they've got this story and that, you know, regardless of how successful it is, this is how long we need to tell the story and we're ending it at that point. And it's like five episodes <laughs> per season and it's two seasons. Yeah, well, they're usually <laughs> shorter. They but, <laughs> <laughs> but they might be 13 episodes, which is yeah not that unusual. But it's right, certainly right, quality right. TV as opposed to the American version in that in that case, which was the longer 20-odd season show and it wasn't doing so well it kind of had to get wrapped up awkwardly yeah i think the office is a case like that too where we are only in season five of the office right now we're watching it here in japan but in the u.s this the show just wrapped and it wrapped after nine seasons and i hear a lot of people complain like i'll tell people uh, we're still at the beginning of season five and they'll say oh well it's still good then because it just kept going and going and going, whereas the British office is, gosh, I, I want to say it's only two seasons, and it is like seven, eight episodes per season, something like that. But it was know, a very limited show. The, yeah. a, the classic version of a, of a show that, that went too long and annoyed fans was The X-Files. The X-Files, yeah. Yeah. Well, why don't we talk about some examples in Enterprise where they did work to put elements of continuity and give us some consequences to what mm. happened and weave those in to the series. Um, of course, excluding the Zindi arc, which yeah. is, you know, that obviously was built to be, to be an arc. And the, the first one is just, you know, Archer wants to rush out a space dock and there are <laughs> consequences to maybe leaving the nest a little bit before you're ready to, even if those, Annoying Vulcans tell you not to go and you think that they're just being being jerks. Mm. It's it's um it's interesting. It's not something that, you know, you would you would immediately think, you know, it's it's the premise of the show. He's he's leaving space dock and he's going out into space and it's the kind of thing you'd think that they would just have moved on from, but um they do come back to that and in a few ways I guess we see the consequences of him rushing out in terms of the, the attitude that the Vulcans take towards him and, and humanity and that impetuousness and the irresponsibility and second-guessing them and spying on them at various stages throughout the first season. Mm -hmm. But we also see it in other ways too, and particularly in, in actual plots of other episodes where in um, Silent Enemy the, the ship encounters an enemy who is they're no match for this enemy in terms of their weapons and right. it, it dawns on archer that they've they've rushed out of space dock with no real regard for you know be, being responsible about it and and as a result the ship wasn't fully fitted out with the weapons that that it was supposed to but you add to this the fact that they are running into enemies they they're running into scenarios that they hadn't preempted and so he makes the decision to go back and get the ship properly fitted out. Right, which was a good idea because the the early NX-01 with those little the little missile launchers they had, they were really no match for any enemy they were no. going to encounter. Right, they could blow up an <laughs> asteroid, but you know, 
if they can hit it. They have to <laughs> yeah. they have to waste all their weapons trying to see if they can hit the asteroid in the first place. That's right. <laughs> but it it was a good um a plot device. Uh, we get to you know to see Archer reflect on his decisions, which at the time, yeah, he thought he was doing the right thing. He was better to just get out there and rather than face another Vulcan hurdle. But there were consequences to that, right? And then they have their encounters with the Klingons, and not not just the Broken Bow one, because of course we have the the case in Broken Bow, but later on when they encounter the Klingons again, like an unexpected when they have the encounter mm. and the Klingons think it's just absolutely hilarious that Trip, uh, <laughs> well, well, first of all, that Trip maybe got an alien pregnant. And then when they find out, no, no, Trip's pregnant. Well, that's <laughs> the funniest thing they've ever heard. So, but, but the Klingons are just hostile from the very, very beginning. And then Archer, he doesn't quite learn we have sleeping dogs, and then he finally realizes, okay, well, maybe these guys just, they always get up on the wrong side of the bed. There's something wrong with these Klingons. Maybe I shouldn't try to help them anymore. And all these encounters that he has with them mm. lead to judgment, which we talked about not long ago. And it really builds on that. Now, of course, this is the kind of continuity that you might get in TNG where they do encounter Klingons or Romulans as well. And there's some, you know, relationship going on there yep. between Picard and Galran, Picard and Tomalog, so forth. It, it does move a little bit. But here, I think the consequences for Archer are more serious because mm. he actually gets sent to Ropente. Then, of course, he escapes. And then that comes back With to With great haunting. ease. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That comes back to haunt him uh, later on when uh, he has uh, a bounty hunter come to take him back to the Klingons. Right. And that's spread over a, a great distance within the series. Mm. But it's always nice when they call back to something that happened previously. Mm. There is a reference to something that happened previously. And that that gives you... What is it? Is it like continuity and consequences light? Or I think so. What would you call it? You know, it's like, it's not as heavy duty as DS9 no. or Battlestar Galactica, but it it reminds you that the writers haven't forgotten where the characters have been and what's happened to them. Mm. And and they build on that periodically. And yeah, we we see... We, we we can see then the show is is much more than just those singular episodes. That it it's a bigger right. story that's being told, not not a story arc as such, but that we're following their journey, you know, in this right. enterprise world. And we don't see that in Voyager, other than than general character development. It's important to the realism of the show because that helps you realize that these people are living in a real world. Yes. You know, they are actually living their lives. They're not just showing up on a set to be on your television screen once a week. Uh, things happen to them. That's right. Uh, I think it is something that Enterprise does really well. I think it's also, it's it still feels to me something that's quite unique um, in, in having that, you know, that, as you say, continuity and consequences light shows tend to be one or the other nowadays you know we, mm -hmm. we, we either 
much more towards the episodic or or more towards the the serialized and and I do think that that the writers have done very well in combining those aspects to give them a little bit of create you know room for creativity but also to to give something back to the audience that's what it feels like to me that they're acknowledging um the intellect of the audience as well yeah you've stuck with us you've watched these shows so we're going to give you something later yeah so that you remember what you put into it yeah there's also in enterprise the vulcan andorian tension which I think is an an excellent addition to the show. Mm. And it comes very early on with the Andorian incident, which I was so excited when I knew that that episode was coming up because as someone who grew up with TOS and I, you know, knowing the Andorians and you're like, finally, finally, we're going to get Andorians. They're finally going to do something with Andorians. So it was, it was great. And of course, getting Jeffrey Combs to, to play an Andorian and play Shran was a home run, but it starts there and then it builds and what happens there has consequences for Archer, has consequences, especially for T'Pol mm. and it moves on. It also has consequences for the two races as well. And there are seven episodes that have some aspect of the Vulcan Andorian conflict. You've got mm. the Andorian incident, Shadows of Pajim, ceasefire proving ground in the middle of Zindiark. And then you've got the three-parter of the Forge Awakening Kirshara in season mm. four. We even touch on it a little bit in Home in terms of those, yeah, those consequences for T'Pol's mother. Right. In Home, definitely they touch on it. And this also plays into the founding of the Federation itself, even though we don't necessarily get to see that play out on the screen. But uh, the Vulcan-Andorian conflict is important for that as well. And so it's... um. And the way the Andorian incident sets up the fact that this has been going on for a long time between these two worlds, long before humans were out there in space, it's been building and building and building. And so it's a really nice thread that runs all the way through mm. the series. And once again, it's you wouldn't call it a mini arc, you wouldn't call it continuity in the flavor of Deep Space Nine, but it adds texture right. and depth to Enterprise. It's, it's not a, a massive storyline, it's certainly not... Um, uh, temporal Cold War or the Zindi arc, but um, it it is a consistent thread that adds flavour to this to the show. I think what's different about it than say on TNG, for example, Federation Romulan politics, where you know you could argue that there's a thread there mm. that also runs through the series, but. I think the difference here is that it really impacts our main characters mm. because you have you have Shran who was going to be, according to Manny Koto, a regular on the show starting from the fifth season. And then you've got T'Pol being heavily impacted by it and mm. you've got Archer and his relationship with Shran. So there's a more personal level mm. to the Vulcan and Dorian and also human conflict that's going on it's more hands-on it's much closer to us as the viewer than say just federation and romulan empire political intrigue which you know i think in tng that stuff feels a little bit more like background right you know it's It's uh, galactic politics yeah yeah Yeah. the sulaban are another uh place where there's some 
continuity. We've, we talked about the temporal Cold War last week, which of course involved the Suliban heavily. And so we know how they showed up first in A Broken Bow and then how um, Silic finally went out in Stormfront Part 2. But there's also that, that element uh, involving Archer and kind of a reputation that he gains as well. Mm. And um, what did you think about this element? Well, that came up through um, Detained, when Archer and... Detained, yeah, with the internment camp. Yeah, yeah. and Traviser, um, and, and they, they, they help free um, some of the um, detainees from this prison camp. And, of course, he then gets a reputation as a result of that, and there are consequences as in the episode Desert Crossing where this, you know, this major, what would you call him, a, a unofficial political figure with his own agenda uh, is looking for support to further his cause and he's heard about Archer and what he's done for the Solaban and so invites him down to the planet under false pretenses to try and convince him to help out. Right. And then it come, comes back again later in the episode Two Days and Two Nights. Right. Yep. So there is a, a running thread as a result of this this action that Archer took back in Detained, which he, he saw as, as a moral action. But And it's not that the, the consequences were like a major breach of the prime directive and, you know, they, they, were, they didn't severely impact the Federation or Starfleet as, um, as we saw it in the show. But it certainly made Archer think about, you know, his best intentions and how that may play out. Mm -hmm. And once again, not a major storyline, but just just something that carried through for a few episodes and, you know, reminded us that these these are the same people and the things that they're doing out there are are having an impact on and in this case, at least to other races. Exactly. That's what I like. Even it doesn't have to be a big thing, but it's just mm. moving from one episode to the next episode that there is acknowledgement yes. of something. I mean, think about, do you remember the next generation in a force of nature when they decided that the speed limit has to be warp five? Mm. Now, can, now, what happened to that? Everyone flies around at faster than warp five, right? <laughs> I remember that episode and I was watching one on TV just the other day and it's the only other time I can really remember it being mentioned again where they're given permission to go faster for a specific purpose. But yeah, yeah. there's some like <laughs> there's some lingering effect to it, right? There's some mm. lingering effect. But it's one of those things where for that plot, that story yeah, it made sense. You know, it's an environmental mm. message. And oh my God, we're destroying the galactic environment. Mm. We need to uh, slow down. It's like in the US, them putting up the 55 mile per hour speed limit signs when, yep. when I was growing up. You know, the speed limit when I was a kid was, I think it was 75, maybe 70 or 75 mm. in Alabama. And then it became 55. And then when I was in university, there was the movement to raise it back up to 70 and it became 70 again. And it's kind of like that with the warp five, like, you know, maybe we should just go warp nine again. Let's just, <laughs> let's just go warp nine. You want to do that? Yeah. We'll do it with let's that, do that issue another time. <laughs> yeah. Let someone else just, do just, with just, it. Those kind of little things are funny to me. It's like, if, if we're going to make a big deal about it, then it, 
we should make a big deal about repealing it also. Yeah. Yep. (laughs) That's what I, how I feel. But, um, but anyway, just from, you know, one episode to the next, having something is nice. And in Enterprise, one case that I really like early on is in Minefield when Reed has to go out. Well, not, not only, there's two things. There is the damage to the NX-01 and there's the damage to Reed's leg. <laughs> yeah. And of course, the damage to the NX-01 really carries over to Dead Stop. But even the damage to Reed's leg is acknowledged. You see him there with flocks. You see him having therapy mm-hmm. on the leg. You know, in, in other Star Trek, that leg thing wouldn't have mattered the next no, week. I, I mean, even at the end of the episode, you know, Dr. Crusher would, you know, shoot you with a hypo spray and you'd be fine. And it's a really nice touch. The other examples we've used are ones that have happened, you know, episodes that are spaced apart over a period of time. This Mm -hmm. one was from one episode to the next, and it wasn't a major plot point, Um, you know, that that link. um, It was, was you know, a side effect. It it, it drove the next story. We now need to repair the ship, and and it leads into dead stop. It's it's funny as well, the... um, when they're having the ship scanned and Archer picks up on the damage, I think it's to the underside of the NX-01, which Tucker was going to oh, fix yeah, yeah. before, <laughs> and he never right. got around to it, which is referenced in the pilot. Because they bumped the, in Broken Bow, they bumped the bottom of the ship yeah. when they went up in the shuttle, <laughs> right, yeah. He was getting around to it. He nicked it, something like that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> exactly. This is the kind I really like where it's not a two-parter mm. at all. No. But... What happened in the last episode leads you right into the next. Yeah, that's right. That's 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 continuity that I like. And um, yeah, as as I've said, it is something that to me feels quite unique to Enterprise. If you think about the Zindi arc and particularly towards the end of that, it, it's much more heavily serialized as we move from one part of the story to the next as that Zindi arc wraps up. Um, and you really need to watch them in sequence. Whereas these two episodes, you don't need to watch them in sequence because it's it's just the basic point in Dead Stop that the ship's got damage and uh, they're on this station right. and let's learn all about it. Um, but, so, yeah, it, it's, um, it, it's a casual link, but it does add value and it's just one of those nice little points of interest for fans of the show. And then another one is we, we talked about Archer's reputation a little bit and Trip he got a little bit of a reputation as well. Oh, he did, didn't he? In uh, Starting with Unexpected, <laughs> of course, and putting his hands into a box of pebbles and you just can't go putting your hands into anything out in deep space, can you? And you don't then, know where those pebbles have been. No, no. And then Topol gives him, um, you know, a little bit of a hard time about that in Unexpected as well. Um, you know, that he couldn't control himself when he's only there for a few days. She really did. <laughs> uh, you know, <laughs> yeah. of course, Tripp's protesting his innocence, that he was a perfect gentleman. Um, he got along well with her. She was a talented engineer, of course, and uh, they bonded on that level as well as through ice cubes. But this um, is brought back in a, in, a, in a momentary and subtle way later in Enterprise in the episode Oasis where he's on board the ship with um, uh, the ship full of holograms, essentially, except for the father and the daughter, and he gets to um, to become friends oh, yeah. with the daughter. And he's talking to T'Pol, and she makes uh, a reference 
because he's, he's talking about how you know talented she is um, at the work that she does. And T'Pol says to Trip, well, we all know what happened the last time you found someone so talented, of course, referring to the right. Cerulean woman. Uh, and it's just a one-liner, quick, subtle reference to um, his pregnancy, but it's witty and, um, you know, it, it's clever and I like that. Yeah, well, it shows the characters themselves. Yeah, and, and she doesn't forget, you know, and um, she's she's never going to let him get away with anything. And when uh, we also right. see a little bit um, on, on the romance side, threads throughout the series of um, Reed and T'Pol, which I think starts off actually in Shuttle Pod 1, where he references her bum and he has the dream about oh, her calling him stinky. they have conversation about her bum, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, he, you know, he's <laughs> hoping that she's going to kiss him when he when he wakes up back on board the um, the NX-01. Yeah. And, um, and there are other threads throughout the show where she enters into Ponfar and, you know, she hits on him and, you know, he's trying to resist being the gentleman. And, and so we see those kinds of threads pop up a few times with Reed and T'Pol as well. There are a lot of good little character character moments, and uh, another one that uh, I like, and just in terms of character growth, and, and this one is more like some things that we get on some other series, but just characters like Hoshi, you can see how much they grow and how the experiences that they have in one episode impact them in the next episode mm. or down the line and help them, in the case of Hoshi, help her to be more confident and stronger as she goes. And so even if it, there's not a particular reference to it, you you can know by following it what's happening for her mm. and you can look back. And so you're seeing that character growth there. And again, you do see that in, in some of the other series as well, especially with Tom Paris, as I mentioned. I would like to have seen some more of Hoshi's dad, though. A little bit of continuity <laughs> there. Yeah. <laughs> He's part of the family, Kate. <laughs> no, he's, he's, <laughs> Chris, he's not a part of your family. He's a part of my family. What? No, he's our, he's family. We're, we're family. Who's family? <laughs> what are you talking about, Kate? What are you talking about? Maybe you should wait until Hoshi's mother gets home and then tell me. Maybe then I'll understand you. That, but she's gone, Chris. What do you mean, gone? She's. What are she's, you saying? She's just not with us anymore. <laughs> you called me to tell me this. You know. She... <laughs> <laughs> okay. okay, I think we've done this bit long enough. Hoshi's dad. Everyone, go watch Vanishing Point. Enjoy Hoshi's dad. <laughs> Which I should point out was not really Hoshi's dad. It's just how Hoshi herself thinks of her dad because that was all in her mind it was (laughs) (laughs) maybe maybe what we need for continuity is to actually meet hoshi's dad and find out if he's really like the person that hoshi sees him as yeah yeah that would be interesting (laughs) maybe she perceived her mom as an absent mother too a prop exactly you're probably right that's why her mom wasn't there good point Let's talk about one more item here, and that's T'Pol's illness. Mm. And it was a place that you generally don't expect Star Trek to go with 
a major character for sure, and certainly not for the the period of time mm. that it went on, because you know it starts in fusion. She becomes infected with this Panar syndrome, and then that even leads her to drug addiction. So there were like a lot of consequences for mm. that initial encounter with that Vulcan ship. Yeah, it it does, and of course, then we see her eventually mm. get cured. And we see her struggles with her emotions. We see how that impacts her relationship with Trip in terms of exploring sexuality there. Um, you know, as you said, confronting her demons with addiction. It's it's a, a really deep storyline and we get to see a lot about Vulcan culture through it. We get some backstory, I guess, on mind melds. But it extends over such a long period of time and there are so many elements to it. Even in terms of acquiring Trillium D, the episode as well, where we have the the Vulcan ship and the Vulcans that have lost their mind as a result of it in the, in the expanse. And so there are lots of little tie-ins, which makes it, once again, not a primary driving story arc for Enterprise, particularly not in any one season. But it certainly has a lot of impact on our characters. Well, it impacts, of course, her decision to join Starfleet. Mm. And would you agree also that the entire relationship between T'Pol and Trip is a consequence of the initial encounter with the Vulcans and her contracting Pinar Syndrome, which, of course leads her to the Trillium D, and then all of this leads her to being looser with her emotions than you yeah. would expect a Vulcan to be. And I think without that, I'm not sure that the relationship with Trip would have ever even happened in the first place. Certainly not not in the way you know, it did in the show. It, it impacted her decisions around Trip and exploring that relationship. And then even her ability to sustain it later on. Mm-hmm. Um, and to be open to things that he was saying, it really changed her character. There were always elements in Topol of being perhaps a little more human in the way that she dealt with her emotions, and her mother says that in Home as well, mm-hmm. you know, that she was always a little bit different as a Vulcan, um, and I think that that's what led her to even explore um, the mind meld and her relationship in, with the other Vulcan infusion. But yeah, I, I, I certainly think her relationship with Trip would not have been the same if it weren't for the Trillium D and uh, the events of Impulse. Yeah, I, I think so too. It's something I haven't really thought about that much before, but as we talk about it here, it definitely popped into my head uh, the connection, kind of an unexpected connection mm. a little bit for me. All right. Well, are there any other examples or any other final thoughts that you have on, you know, elements of continuity and enterprise or consequences of events mm. and how they impacted the characters or I stories? Mean, I'm sure that there are lots of, of examples of this within enterprise. For me, the um, the main point that I take away from all of it is that most of, of what we see of this nature, um, of these kind of really mini arcs these continuity and consequences light we see in the first two seasons and I do think that that's a response to the challenges faced by the writers in being asked to do 
an, an episodic format, strictly standalone episodes and trying to, whether it was meeting the demands of a modern day television audience or the writer's own need for being more creative, uh, finding new story ideas, things that just making enterprise a little bit different. Um, either way, that is, you know, that is really where we see this type of storytelling is those first two seasons. The elements do carry through to season three and four, but they're quite yeah. different in their structure. Yeah, yeah I agree. Uh, season four, it feels like, you know, I started to say it feels like the continuity and the consequences elements kind of disappear in season four. I don't know if, I don't know if I really agree with that thought that I had there, but it's definitely different in its structure. Mm. As you say, it's more, it's very much those sort of mini arcs. And uh, I guess continuity wise, it really was leading somewhere though. We've mentioned before how they had that little Romulan twist there that was mm. just getting started up, which wasn't allowed to go anywhere because the, the series was ending and you have the xenophobia as well. You have the, the terror prime demons I think all of that would have been going somewhere and would have given us more and more continuity. Although I do we, think uh, had we got a season five, that it would have been more along the format of Deep Space Nine in terms of continuity than, you know, I think so the too, continuity yeah. light that we'd seen so far. Yeah, I think so too, yeah. Uh, we forgot to mention one of the biggest moments of consequences in the series which was when Porthos went down and peed on the shrubs because mm. poor guy. I mean, this was some pretty serious consequences right there. Yeah, it was. Um, all sorts of consequences as a result. You know, the Pyrethian bat ended up escaping. Archer didn't get a good yeah. night's sleep. He, um, you know, became obsessed with Depol's lips. And uh, <laughs> Yeah. You know, all sorts of things going on. Well, not all the consequences were bad. I mean, as a result of that, Phlox came up with the best master of stock ever for his broth. <laughs> I did. So. Even to rival Hoshi. And if you're wondering so. what we're talking about, you know, if you're just tuning in to Warp 5 for the first time, go back and listen to our Inside Phlox's Sickbay episode. <laughs> And then you'll know exactly what we're talking about right there. <laughs> yeah, and there were major consequences, of course, for the tree that Archer had to cut up to appease. Oh, God. That is the strangest scene. <laughs> just, <laughs> the, the braid, the, the shirtless yeah. Archer and the chainsaw. It's just, oh, man. It's like, it's like his punishment is to go to some sort of country crafts festival and make stools he like cut the seats for <laughs> stools out of a log or something it's very strange <laughs> all right anyway i guess for me and just summing up i think that enterprise has a nice level of continuity and consequences to it i think they struck a nice balance between satisfying people like me who really like to have a lot of continuity mm. and a lot of consequences in their stories and the viewers who prefer episodic television because mm. there are both preferences in Star Trek. And, you know, of course, there's room for everything. If you can strike a balance and make everyone happy, that's wonderful. Mm. I think um, I think Enterprise did a really good job of that. I agree. So, Kate, 
there are some consequences to the discussion that we've just had, which is that uh, we've taken up some of the airtime that could have gone to other topics. Thankfully, you and I are only two of the hosts on the network. We have many, many more people talking about Star Trek, and here are some of those things that you may have missed elsewhere on the network. Previously on Trek.fm, Standard Orbit. Trek versus computers. Like there was some kind of salesman going around selling this this life-controlling model. It's, it's like the iMac, you know? Everyone had an iMac back in 1999 or whatever it was, right? The Bondi Blue Landrew. Earl Grey. Data. I think the only other time we see data in red is, uh, I think, in one of the parallel jumps in parallels. Yeah. I think it's Future Imperfect, maybe. With that funky combat. Is is data in red? Kind of like the song Lady in Red? <laughs> data in red. <laughs> the orb. The Jordan Prophecies. <laughs> well, you know, um, I was thinking that Haran was probably not so much a prophet as a Bajoran songwriter who just wrote really bad lyrics. The Ready Room. Ready Uniform. Because, I mean, I right. didn't see Eddington feeling he was the bad guy in this. Oh, he no. was doing what he believed in, yeah. where I think Cisco seemed to me, you know, he definitely started to white whale on this. To the journey! Samantha and Naomi Wildman. She acted like a normal kid, except extremely yes. smart. Yes. Yeah, granted, even though she was incredibly bright, because all Trek kids are, they're extremely advanced in the 24th century, she wasn't annoying like Wesley. Commentary, Trek stars. The Black and Cushman interview. Gene didn't really delve into anything with any depth. I think he played the cards very close to his vest. He knew what he wanted, and he made sure he got it. And that's why he rewrote writers, and he, he, that's even why he rewrote me. Warp 5. The Temporal Cold War. But as you say, with with Archer, or Future Guy, uh, if we were to assume it's Archer, he's not just making, you know, changes on, on a small detail or trying to recapture. You know, in Anorax's case, it's, it's getting his wife back. Right. Um, he's looking to completely change the course of of history on a much broader scale. Trek News and Views. The Data Network. With the Data Network, I wanted something that the Star Trek fans had already there. They didn't need to do anything. They just had to come along and be the Trekkie selves. Literary Treks. Warren and Ivory. Yeah, I thought that that was great that they finally explained that question that you had had, why there are no gateways... Uh, within uh, the Bajoran system and that that's not necessarily true and that the fact is that the Iconians know the prophets. And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. So check out all of those shows and get your daily Trek Talk fix. We have new Trek Talk for you every day of the week and some days we even have two shows for you and you'll find them in a variety of places including iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, Windows Phone, Xbox, Zoom. You can download or stream from the website. Many, many ways for you to get the shows. So check them all out and enjoy all the different discussions that we're having from every corner of the Star Trek universe. 
So, Kate, let's tell everyone where to contact us if they'd like to share their thoughts on continuity and consequences in Enterprise or, you know, anything else about Enterprise or Star Trek. You can go to trek.film slash contact. There is a form there. Choose to send to a show and choose Warp 5, and that will come to us by email. You can also send us a voicemail through the website. There's a tab there that lets you use your webcam's microphone to record and upload. And also, you'll find other listeners on our forums at trek.film slash forums, and you can enjoy conversation with us and those listeners there. You'll also find us on social media on Facebook at facebook.com slash trekfm and on Twitter where we're always tweeting away about Star Trek and that is username trekfm. Now, Kate, if people want to talk to you about Enterprise, find out what else is going on, what's the best place for them to go? Best place to find me is on Twitter at kateisgreatok and yes, Chris, that is a statement. Not a question. Um, just like I to will make always sure wonder. I'm not, yeah. I'm not buying it. I'm not buying it. <laughs> In my canon, it's a question. Okay, the canon of Chris. <laughs> That's right. I don't acknowledge your canon anyway, so it doesn't really matter, does it? <laughs> but, uh, yeah, um, I'm uh, on Twitter most days, quite happy to talk about Star Trek, particularly um, Enterprise, and if you've got uh, – any other examples of continuity or consequences that uh, you'd like to mention, I'd love to hear that uh, from you too. Very good. And if you'd like to find me, you can find me on Twitter as well. My username is C Brian Jones. That's the letter C and Brian with a Y. You can find me pretty much everywhere in social media under that same username and on my personal website at cbrianjones.com. And elsewhere on the network, you can find me on two shows with Matthew Rushing every week. First, there's Literary Treks, where we talk Star Trek books and comics, and we interview authors. And there's The Orb, where we talk about Deep Space Nine, very much in the way we talk about Enterprise right here on Warp 5. And also, you'll find me on The Ready Room with hosts from all across the network as we talk about Star Trek news and all five live-action Star Trek series every week. Also, before we let you go, we'd like to ask you to support our sponsor for this show, and we'd like to introduce a new sponsor, and that is Audible. Audible is a great way for you to read all the books you've always wanted to read but never thought you'd have time for. Audible is the premier source for audiobooks with more than 150,000 titles to choose from and new titles are coming every week. And you know, Kate, Audible is something I really know a lot about because I've actually been an Audible member since 2000. So that's 13 years going on 14 years right now. I'm a really big audiobook buff. Do you ever listen to audiobooks yourself? Yeah, I, oh, occasionally, um, particularly uh, Star Trek novels, and uh, I yeah. have an Audible membership myself and have downloaded from there quite recently The Good That Men Do, which is an Enterprise mm -hmm. novel. So it's a great way to enjoy books that, you know, if you're like me and you don't have time mm. to sit down with a book and just read all the time, having them in audio format is really fantastic. You know, I listen when I'm walking, if I'm on the train, wherever I'm going. Audible is a really great way. And they have a lot of great Star Trek books up there for you to choose from, especially a lot of classic ones like Prime Directive Federation or Spock's World. 
And as a Trekka Film listener, you can get a free audiobook of your choice along with the 30-day trial to see just how great Audible is. So give it a try today. You can support us and you can catch up on all those classic Star Trek books you've yet to read or that latest novel from your favorite author as well. Just go to audibletrial.com slash trekfm and sign up today. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash trekfm. And we thank Audible for their support of Trek FM. Also, if you like the jazz rendition of Where My Heart Will Take Me that's featured here on Warp 5, then go along to Amazon or iTunes and download Andrew Allen's album Smooth Federation. Chris, I actually hear that it's the album of choice for Trip when he's seducing women on alien ships. <laughs> I think so. He had his space iPod there. Mm-hmm. He had his little little headphones in while he had his hands in the pebble box. That That's right. So, uh, yeah, as I said, hop along to Amazon or iTunes and uh, pick up that album from Andrew Allen. Yeah, really great stuff there. And one more thing, if you would personally like to help us continue to bring Warp 5 to you every week, there's a great way for you to do that, and that's to go to trek.fm slash donate, where we have eight original alien illustrations, and we have them available as badges and art prints. They're great original illustrations by Tobu Ushi, who does most of the artwork that you see on our website. You can mix and match which format you would like. There are different contribution levels that you can make, and your support helps us pay for the cost of production, hosting, and bandwidth that's needed to bring the show to you each week. And we really thank you for helping us keep the network going. So thanks again for listening. Join us in the Decon Chamber next week for another episode of Warp 5. <laughs>